Can you do your normal voice, please? This is my normal voice, and I shall be speaking it for the rest of the podcast. You talk a lot higher, <laughs> and we're not tricking people. Hello, and welcome to Afterwise. A podcast discussing the forgotten treasures and forgotten failures lost in literary history. I'm Liv. And I'm Rowan. We have read... A manual for young ladies with hints on love, courtship, marriage, and the true objects of life. And before you're violently sick... (laughs) Charles H. Kent. Got to get his author name in there. Okay. Before you're violently sick, this is from Victorian times, so there is some context. Well, it's Victorian times, but it's 1883 America. And I know a lot about Britain in that period. Don't know too much about America at that time. From what we read in the book, I would assume it was slightly further forward than we were in Britain at that time. Yeah, it seemed to be from a progressive person at that time. He, he... But even then, he sort of swaps between <laughs> yeah, progressive he's in and... Half a pro... <laughs> part between progressive and conservative. From what I can tell, this book was probably quite popular at the time, because in his preface, he says he had a lot of success with his first book, A New Commentary for Young Men, and hence he's written this one for young women. Yeah. But you wouldn't have heard of it today. The only place I could find it was on the archive website or on Amazon for 20 quid. Yes, I got it from the archive website and it had lots and lots of errors where I had random numbers and letters and random orders, which was quite annoying when reading and when narrating it to me. Did you have a few pages that were, like, damaged or something and you couldn't read them? Yes. Yeah. But that's old books for you. Okay. How did it start? So there was the preface, which was basically him saying, I was unknown, and now I've, I've been so re- widely read. And he also said, if one, at least one person has been changed by this, my ordeal would be worth it, or something along those lines. I can't remember what exactly he said. It was quite pretentious. Um, but he referred to himself as we. Yes, we. <laughs> the royal we. And it really confused me. He said stuff like, we hit the nail on the head. Uh, yeah, and I was just like... Who is we? <laughs> and I remember it's written in 1883, so we can expect stuff like that yeah. to happen. And then the prelude. Did the prelude set the scene for you? Yes. Was that the best wedding ever? He really told like a Victorian horror story, didn't he? Yes, it started off and the perfect wedding. Everyone was there. They were happy. The man and wife, they all said yow to being married. <laughs> the altar. We found out that, that they, instead of saying yes to... A proposal of marriage by the vicar. They say Yao, Y A W, which is quite entertaining when reading. Um, it's beautiful. He describes it with this vivid language of flowers and growth and blooming, and then everything changes. Yes, they decide they don't actually like each other after the first couple of months, and they horror, horror, split up. But he doesn't let you work out whether this is good or bad. He, the language changes suddenly to gloom and darkness. It's like <laughs> very heavy-handed that this is a bad thing, the worst thing that could happen in your life. It's... And just after you have the horror of them splitting up, you go straight into our good old friend, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, so a chapter called Love. Were you expecting Jesus off the bat? No, there was quite a lot of Jesus, which I was not expecting. He goes straight in and says that love is the best thing ever. Love is God. First of all, God is love, is how he starts the chapter. (laughs) I have that in my notes. God equals love. I have taken it a step further, because I read through the whole thing, Mm -hmm. and I've got it down to its core. So I'd like to share that with you. He then says, love is the inspiration of every enterprise. So God is love, is the inspiration of everything you do. Hmm. So God is love, is reason, and then also happiness. Yeah. (laughs) So everything is God. Mm -hmm. God is everything else. Yeah. And he goes on for this chapter saying how great love is and how holy love is and how amazing love is and... He talks about, but he also talks about how love is a seed, but you need the soil of happiness to keep it afloat. And sunshine. The the sunshine thing. Yeah. It kept coming up. Sunshine. Sunshine and lollipops. What did you think about the sunshine? The sunshine was interesting. I have some thoughts on his sunshine. Why don't you talk about the sunshine, Livia? Okay, so he said, A person destitute of all resources of happiness within themselves are utterly unable to add to the happiness of a single individual. 
Which, actually, if you take the equation God equals love equals reason equals happiness, this sounds like something very similar to what you'd hear today, which is like, if you can't love yourself first, you can't love anyone else. I guess if so. You can't be it's happy. just a bit more godly. Yeah, he takes it a step further, though. Oh. And he says, they sap all enjoyment of all who they are associated. Yes, I can get that. So he's a little bit more harsh than contemporary self-help books would perhaps be. Yeah, and he, he puts a lot of blame on the woman for not being happy, and that's the cause of all. Ill. Yeah, and then he says uh, that men are going to be sad, and you as the woman must constantly be happy <laughs> and be their happiness. Be the sunshine and lollipops. So be life. their god. Isn't that blasphemy? Okay, here's another quote. Her inspiring words, she is truly the angel of the household. And this quote worried me. Why did it worry you? Have you heard or read the poem The Angel in the House or The Angel of the House? No. It is a poem by a Victorian man about his wife. What Victorian man? I've forgotten his name, but I I have read the poem. He describes his wife in these idealistic terms. She is... Like, this perfect woman, Mm. she does everything for her husband, she's virtuous, she's loving, she's godly, and this has become the archetypal image of the perfect Victorian woman throughout literature. It's what the Victorians wanted out of their wives. So seeing this in the first chapter, I was like, oh no, we're in for a ride, because this man is going to try and uphold that... Angelic view of women. Yes, this angelic, quiet... (laughs) individual. So after the angel talk, he goes on to not having a secret marriage. He's very firm about how you should have your marriage. A marriage should be for everyone to enjoy and the most people, he calls the people witnesses. You need as many witnesses as possible for your marriage. I love that because it reminded me, people's day are like, everyone just broadcasts their lives on social media. We don't need to see your engagement ring. Yeah, we don't need to see that. It was completely the opposite. And he's like, you must put it in the paper. You must show everyone. <laughs> everyone. Yeah. He was very, very against secret marriages. And he thinks those are going to leave you as soon as possible. Yeah, if it's a marriage secret, he doesn't really love you. <laughs> he would want to show you off to everyone. And there was a, a quote a bit later where he was saying, um, no, he made a story up and... The woman who didn't who was at the secret marriage didn't get a kiss and she felt very unhappy about this yeah. and it was all very sad. And the marriage broke down, didn't it? Because yeah. there was no kiss at the wedding, no one was there to see them kiss. Yeah. And it wasn't only marriages, he actually gave advice on choosing a couple. He said, two similar couples end in discord. And two different couples end in, in discord. discord. Oh, horror of horror. <laughs> You need them slightly different for you, and you're fine. But again, that's an idea I can imagine coming up in a more modern thing. Yeah. You need some differences, but you need the same core values, that type of... Rubbish, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He also warned about being fretful and worrying too much. A fretful wife would ruin a husband. I want to talk about that more in Jealousy, because the chapter Jealousy, I have thoughts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Did you not write any notes for Jealousy? It's a bit later on, I didn't title my notes because I'm not very organised well then Um, oh yeah don't let appearances fool you because you know wealth looks status and not as important as personality but at the same time ask for him to verify his credentials so you make sure you're not marrying someone (laughs) without without status because status is important yes you need a status husband but it's not as important he's just a bit contradictory yes he, he seems to want to move on to his um, the view of marriage we have today, but he's also a bit dragged behind in, in his time. There's that hotel story where the oh, man... Oh, that hotel. Yeah, he, he goes in this horror story where they get married and she and the husband says, why don't you uh, move all your funds into my account? That would be great, wouldn't it? And she said, yes, I love you, dearest husband. I shall do that now. And then... <laughs> He then goes, actually, I, we need the money in cash if we're going on holiday to fa- these fancy hotels. And she does it. And then at the hotel, she, he leaves her. And she has nothing, and she is destitute and dead and awful. But a quote I like is that she took a lack of simple precaution to know her husband's character. A lack of simple precaution? <laughs> She should totally have guessed yes, that and known. His, his hus- her husband was actually a con man. It's and her fault. <laughs> Not his. 
for being a con man. He he does actually say later on that he despises these con men people. He, but he still says here, if she it, had only got to know, know him. him. Yeah. He, she, he, at the beginning of the book, he was putting more of the blame on the woman for not checking out her husband beforehand. And to credit to the author, he's actually against arranged marriages, etc. He expects people to know each other before they're married, which is a good thing, a more modern thing. But at, at the beginning, he is saying that it is the woman's responsibility not to get tricked, and it's the woman's responsibility to pick her husband. Is this the chapter where he introduces his hatred of fashion? Yes. <laughs> this is the best. Would you like to tell us about why he hates fashion? <laughs> he should. He says, never marry a man with, what's it, a double-sided waistcoat or two-sided waistcoat. He hates double-sided waistcoats. Waistcoats where it could be one colour on one side and another on the other. What this is trying to be is, like, don't marry two faced men. He in, does it in such a way that it's a scathing attack on all fashion. The thing is, it starts like, oh, okay, this could just be one metaphor <laughs> that doesn't work. But then he keeps bringing fashion back that, up throughout yeah. the book. Like, who hurt you in the fashion industry? <laughs> What's gone wrong there? He, he's trying to make it as an expression for don't let outside looks deceive you. But he, he does it in terms of clothing. But at the same time, the examples he gives for two-faced men, mm. I feel like there's no way the wife could have known. Yeah, the, the, the examples he gives of these amazing tricksters who deceive their woman and then left them straight, nearly straight away. And there's no way these women could have known that everything was a lie. Yeah. And it, does he give much advice in knowing, finding out which man is a two double-sided vested person? No, he just tells you not to fall for them. Yeah. He doesn't help he doesn't you identify them. Yeah, he doesn't help you at all in knowing a man. He, he does say later on that um, a good way of knowing a man's character is find out what he does at night time. <laughs> Talk to a nearby policeman and ask him. The thing is, later in the book, hmm. he has this big moral about don't ask your husband what he's doing. Yeah. Don't question him. <laughs> Shouldn't even be, be happy. <laughs> yeah, he has this amazing story later on about which we should get to is about a woman trying to find out about different families and etc. And then she ends up. I love that hated. story. <laughs> it, it was quite a confusing story actually. I, I Did you like their names? Yeah. Was it Tattlewise or? And then oh, I've forgotten the other one. I've got it written down. Right. Okay. <laughs> Later. Um, and, and one last note about the clothing. He said, "Know a man before marriage." Otherwise, you'll get a husband who reads newspapers at parties. He was, he's in, throughout the book, he's incredibly against introverted people. He has these fables throughout the book about different married couples and how their lives are ruined by because they did something wrong. And in this case, it was the husband didn't like parties. So when she made a party, he read the newspaper. And this was the horror of horror, the worst thing that could happen. And he puts it on in parallel with, um, with men leaving their wives. <laughs> it was, yeah. They're leaving you without any money. Oh yeah, and he also says the best people have the best marriages. And if you... And he's, he, he's very, very for having marriages. He says if you don't marry, you're defying God. Because it was God's view that in Adam and Eve that they married together. Isn't that in the next chapter? I think it is. I've just skipped on. Yep, we're in marriage now. Marriage land! And God has returned to us. Yes. He was it? gone for too long. <laughs> yep. God is back. Heaven says you must get married. What was the exact quote? You had it. Did I? <laughs> I don't think I had it. I thought you had it. Um, you're defying God if you marry? I can't remember. Basically, God d d decreed you get married. He seems to think it's the best advice it's, God ever gave us. Yes, and, he, and for evidence for this, he says, look at France. France is oh, awful. God. <laughs> France is wallowing in despair and deceit. He hates it, France. He really hates France. He says their marriages are awful. Yeah. Ooh, one thing I want to bring up. What? Quickly. He said if you don't get married and you're able-bodied and uh, don't have a mental illness or whatever, you're mm. disobeying God. What about nuns? Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, no, oh they're supposed to be married to God. Are they? Married to Jesus. Oh, I'm But sorry. later on in the book, he says women can be independent and don't need a husband. Does he have a split personality? <laughs> yeah, so he hates France. <laughs> yes. France is awful. He says um, they're... They don't have any respect to marriage, and therefore they have no homes. They, they have no fam sense of family. And therefore, that's why they have the most suicide out of any country, yeah, because says, they don't marry. The marriages 
end in the dark waters of the Seine. <laughs> <laughs> he's very pretentious and very poetic throughout the book. But the fact he just hates France. It, it, first of all, he's like, in the USA, we have the best No, he said, he said, France is awful. But here in the USA, I thought, um, in reading it, he was from the UK, and I thought, this is surprising. Being from the UK, he's saying America's great a lot. But after I found out <laughs> he's American, it does make a lot more sense. He says America has the best marriages, the best homes, they have the equal marriage rights for rich and poor. He also says there aren't enough good marriages in the USA, and that kind of contradicts... <laughs> yes, that they have the best marriages. Oh, he actually said, um, for 6,000 years we've had marriage, <laughs> which is very entertaining that he thinks the universe is 6,000 years old. It's, it shows how far we've come in the last... Well, you want to think about years. the age of humanity. Humans are the only one who do marriage. No, no, but he was talking about the universe as a whole. A whole. Humans have been around for about 100,000 years. That's an estimate. But um, he, he thinks the universe is 6,000 years old. Since oh. anatomy, he believed in creationism, which was a point I found out. Well, yeah, obviously. It's in 1883. Yeah, I guess so, but <laughs> when, when did Darwin... Um... It was around 1847-ish Darwin published. So he's had 40 years of logic he's been exposed to. Yeah, but no one really took firmly to that. Even today, not everyone... It's it's so weird to think that they thought the universe was 6,000 years old. I was was thinking about this when reading, that the whole perspective on the universe is incredibly human-centric. We used to be more human-centric. Yeah. We thought everything revolved yeah. around us. Us, and uh, when the, it was, the universe was only around for seven days, or whatever, four, five, six days before he created men. It, it pictures a world of a very short world and a very small world, which I guess they had. But I guess it is hard to conceptualise the fact that there's this great other that existed before we did. It was mm-hmm. billions of years <laughs> And it's hard to imagine not existing. Like, that's a concept that's quite yeah, difficult. I guess so. But he also expresses the universe in very human terms. He says, like, and later on in the book, he says... I'm, I'm referencing later on in the book a lot, I, I'm sorry. Um, about how the universe is... Everything is filled with love, and God is with every particle. Um, but they, the whole worldview was that humans are the most important things in the universe, and everything is part of... God's great plan for humans. Anyway, Rowan, forget science. Back to marriage. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, God, marriage, USA, evil France. Yes. He really doesn't like bought titles. Bought titles? I didn't pick this up. Um, he wants you to check your husband's credentials. Right. Make sure he hasn't just bought an office that's come with a title, but it's not a good title. And he, you, you certify this, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if this is even a real title. He's really against buying into it, and says, what virtuous young lady will for a moment consider such a proposition? Right. But then surely all titles are at some point bought, and yeah, then they may be passed just... down hereditarily. <laughs> You should marry the most inbred man you can find. It was just an interesting perspective, I noticed. Yeah, that nobility. But this is America. I thought they were against those title I don't know. Um, and a good thing about him, though, what he was against arranged marriages. Yep. Doesn't like arranged marriages. Doesn't like 20-year-olds marrying... Marrying 60 and 70-year-olds, which is surprising as well. He believes they should know your husband before you marry and you should not rush into wedlock which yeah, was you should surprising courtship and get to know people yeah which is quite progressive i think yeah he like switches between this quite progressive person you're like oh wow and then I he goes like back this guy. to his and then he's back to god will smite you if you're not married uh he did this thing where he starts talking in us and we again mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if we're supposed to all relate but i think he's just talking about him in what respect he's saying that he um, saw a young man and a young woman courting, Mm. didn't like the young man, thought he wasn't a good match for the young woman, so sent a letter to her mother or um, talked to her mother and said, look, this uh, young man isn't right for your daughter, he's not the person you think he is, they Mm. can't get married. Um, And he's complaining because they don't like the unwanted advice. And they say back, when we need your advice, we will send for you. (laughs) 
So So he's being a creepy old man watching the young people. Yeah, does he watch the young people and then <laughs> send oh, letters? That's, that's interesting. I didn't pick up on this bit. I don't why. He may have been doing it in a we all know when we give our friend <laughs> advice and they're like, go away. <laughs> but it seemed very personal to him. Yes. And <laughs> Did he related. like have one successful advice book and from then he was like, I can I can tell life. everyone! You people in the street, he's not right for you. <laughs> And that just amused me. But then later on in the book, with that Mrs. Tattletail story, mm. he hates people like he, that. He, yeah, he hates people who look at other people's you know, marriages. <laughs> Apart from him, he seems to have double standards, which I guess everyone um, does. I've just got written here, this man really hates fashion, so he must have gone on another fashion rant. Do you have anything else? <laughs> no, I don't have much on fashion. Oh, yes, you, I do. He says, don't marry a man with a bad past. He says, even if they, they say they're a changed man, they're the same. And they, you don't want to have... You don't want to have your daughter marrying a man with a bad past because he's never going to change. And he, he's, he all the blame of marrying uh, a man is on the woman, and that's the main thing. He says marriage is the is the best thing in life, and he um, he has evidence for this in the Bible, our good friend the Bible, and he says um, one of the the first parables of Jesus is when. Jesus goes to the party and gets alcohol for everyone and the wine from the water. And he, he uses this to express that marriage is one of the most fundamental things. He's even Jesus was part of it. Oh yeah, back to the looks. He says, don't be deceived by looks. Oh yeah, and he really, really hates men who deceive women. He said, marriage deceiving is worse than murder. And he goes on about how they deserve that burning in... Uh, that burning at the stake is too good for them because that's less than the pain they exert on the many women and the the bastard, well not bastard because they're married, the children that he, they have from the man. But at the same time, he blames the women. It seems like a virtue show without the meaning behind it because at the mm -hmm. same time it's like, women, you should know better, but these men are evil. And you burn in hell. <laughs> Fire and brimstone. <laughs> I liked... Um, it's outrage for a parent to dictate whom a son or daughter shall or shall not marry. Yes. That seemed it, quite progressive. But he also, at the same time, was speaking to the parents and saying, you don't want a um, husband who has a bad past or yeah. <laughs> smokes or something. Ooh, I love the addiction section. Yes, but that's a bit for everyone, isn't it? I've taken a lot less notes than you, I think. Yes, I'm such a good researchy person. No, he's, it's about now. He yeah. talks about um, they oh. should make sure what they do at night is is checked. Are we on to the next chapter then? I think we're in the next chapter then. Okay, so the next chapter was called Breaches Ahead. Breaches Ahead? What uh -huh. does that mean? I don't know, but it's all about addiction, addiction. and why you shouldn't marry a man with addiction. Well, he calls it bad habits. Yes, he doesn't see it as addiction. So, like, he gives an example of a man who said to his fiancée, I will give up smoking, I will stop with tobacco, I promise. And then, three months down the line, he's yeah, having yeah. tobacco again, and it's because he doesn't love his wife, mm. and he couldn't make this commitment for her without understanding how addictive something mm -hmm. like smoking is, and it doesn't really seem to be, like, against his wife that... Yeah, he, he says, don't marry a man with bad habits, but even if they pretend and say, oh, I will not do it again if we get married... And if they have a contract about it, they will eventually deceive you. There was quite a weird story he did, which um, was a man and wife, and the man promised he wouldn't smoke again, and then three months, three weeks or three months later... There was a three-month one and then a couple-of-week one, I think. And um, he was incredibly ill. He wasn't ill. He was just, like, really sad and not doing anything and lethargic. And he said, I don't know what to do, my, my wife. <laughs> and he said, well, well, if... You maybe had a cigarette. Maybe you'll be better then. And then he tells the story of, oh, yes, after he had one cigarette, he was fine and he never had to smoke again. It seems like he doesn't really understand addiction. Maybe it was that at the time they didn't understand addiction. Yeah. He specifically seems to misunderstand it. it. Apparently it was because in that story, the man was loyal to his wife and only had a cigarette when she said, OK, I relieve you of your right, okay. thing that suddenly he's cured because he did as he as God wished for him to do. It's, it's not interesting to see how far we've come in med medicine. Yeah, some of the stuff on happiness later on where he clearly describes someone with depression and it's like, <laughs> she just needs to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of interesting. Okay, chapter jealousy. He says that jealousy is worse than murder. Yes. 
I would firmly agree with this statement. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the commandment not to cover your neighbour's wife is worth the commandment <laughs> not to stab your neighbour to death? If my neighbour just was like, oh, I really like Olivia's wife. I wish, what? <laughs> I wish that was my wife. <laughs> so if my neighbour mm. was like, oh, I, I really like Olivia's wife, I'm jealous of Olivia's wife, I'd be like, eh, it's a bit weird, but you're not doing anything right, it's fine. If my neighbour was like, I'm going to kill you, <laughs> Olivia, and then killed me, I would be slightly more concerned about the murder yes. than the jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he seems to, yeah, really hate jealousy, and he has this wonderful story about jealousy. Concerning a little Mrs. Tattleford. I have all the names here. Oh, good, 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 good. Mrs. Tattleford, because she's a tattletale. Ha ha. She tells everyone he, everything. He is so witty, it's amazing. And his comment earlier reminds me of Mrs. Tattleford. Right. Here's Mrs. Tattleford in his own way. Then we have Mrs. Fidgety. Mrs. Fidgety. She's, Fidgety, Fidgety. she's called Mrs. Fidgety because she's anxious, she's worried yeah. because of the information. And he really hates anxious people too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then we have Mrs. Golden, the oh, golden girl, the, golden the angel child. in the house. <gasps> and she is the perfect woman who responds to Mrs. Tattleford perfectly, yes. unlike Mrs. Mrs. Fidgety. Fidgety. Who fails at every corner. You can tell the story as I haven't got any notes of it. I found it incredibly hard to understand this story. I, it was, yeah. Okay, so basically, Mrs. Tattleford has heard that the preacher, I think it was, Maybe. Has a wife, yeah. Um, has hit her, so everyone's like, oh, and they're not talking to the preacher anymore. Hmm. But then she saw Mrs. Fidgety's husband at a club at night hmm. with the preacher. Right? How could he do this with an abuser? And he did some other stuff. He went out at night. His wife wasn't aware of it, and she was basically just bragging. She was like, "My husband would never leave me at night. At least he would take me with him, and he'd never go places without telling me about it." And and he and she actually says, um, "The way I make sure my husband doesn't go at night is I pretend to be ill and have fits. And you should try that too. <laughs> Next time you don't want your husband out, just have a fit." Yep. So that was that was fun. Um, and then. Mrs. Fidgety gets all worried with this information because mm. her husband's going out at night and not telling her what could be happening. Oh no! <gasps> and so she asks him, "Husband, darling, what what are you doing at night?" <gasps> and he gets angry because oh, no. a wife should not question yes, her husband. To never question the husband. And so he's like, "Well, I was just at the club. It's none of your business, wife." <laughs> and they. Uh, it poisons their whole marriage because yes. the wife has questions and she's not meant to have no, questions. Yes, wife would never question that. And they split up <gasps> and they move and no. everything is ruined. A happy, loving marriage is ruined. Mrs. Mrs. Fidgety. Because of Mrs. Fidgety's jealousy, worse than murder. And then lovely old Miss Golden moves in. <gasps> Miss Golden, I love her. And she says, Well, Miss Tattleford, may I speak plainly with you? And basically says, that Miss Tattleford misunderstood and had false accusations of abuse. Oh, no. Because when she heard the preacher hitting his wife, the preacher was actually hitting a mouse, protecting his wife from the mouse. Yes, it's true. And uh, the husband was perfectly um, all right in the Miss Fidgety saga. And so everything's fine. And you're wrong, Miss Tattleford. Does we, that mean the moral of that story is... is never question woman screaming and the sound of hitting? Yeah. Don't question anyone else's marriages. Don't question yes, your yeah. marriage. Everything is fine. Right. No one would hit anyone. There's totally no abuse in Victorian England. Oh, no, America. <laughs> well, I don't think you can call it Victorian America. Can you not? <laughs> They're kind it's, of a republic at this they point. St aren't they still part of the empire? <laughs> and then... A story I find more interesting than that one is right. the story of the wife who says, I love you, in her sleep. Oh, this is the best story ever. So, do you want to tell it? Because I told yes, the last told story. Now, once upon a time, in the magical mind of whatever his name is again. What is Charles H. Kent. Charles H. Kent. Um, this, there was this woman which was the perfect wife, and this husband which was the perfect husband. and. All their friends called them the model family? No, model household. And one day, um, Mr... What's he called? Do you know the name? Uh, no, I don't know the name. I don't, know they, I don't think they gave names. Mr. Mr. went off 
and to do work and the whole time Mrs. Mrs. They would have the same surname, wouldn't they? Mrs. Mr. Um, stayed the whole time and sent letters every day concerning over his health and they were the best couple ever. But there was only one problem and that problem was Mrs. Mr. used to talk in her sleep and she used to talk about how I love you and I wish to be with you and she would whisper this in his sleep and Mr. Mr. was very concerned about this. So he decides to, when Mrs. Mr. goes out to see her friend, to search the house looking for evidence of her cheating on him. Which, and he's really paranoid at this point because she's whispering in her sleep and that must mean that she's cheating on him. So he goes and eventually finds a little box and in this box there's a series of love letters and he's enraged. And when she comes back he, he's, he acts calm but at the night time he murders her. And this is fine because she did cheat on him so it's fine for a man to murder his wife. And then we skip to the wedding. No, not the wedding, the other thing, the funeral. And it turns out that at the funeral there is the, the deceased wife's friend. And it turns out the love letters were hers and she gave them to the wife. And it was an awful mix-up. And then Mr. Mister had to live with the fact he murdered his wife. And he had to go on the run from authorities because... He murdered his wife. <laughs> and the thing is, this story is titled the victim. The victim. And at the end, he summarises by saying the husband is the victim of jealousy and now his whole life is ruined because he killed his wife. I would and like he to had bring to up, kill his wife. I would like to bring up my earlier point, which was murder it's is fine. worse... No. <laughs> what? My earlier point, which is that murder is worse than jealousy. The victim of the victim <laughs> is not the husband for his jealousy, it is the wife because she was so loving. She was an angel in the well, house. I'd have to murdered. disagree with that, Olivia. The husband had to murder his wife because she was cheating on him, and the story gave no indication that was a bad thing to do. Yeah, he's perfectly fine with murder if she was cheating. It's only yeah. because she wasn't cheating that it was a tragedy. Yeah, it was a tragedy, and he regretted it because she was the perfect wife apart from the talking in the sleep. So the moral of the story is: don't talk in your sleep, otherwise your husband will murder. That's it. That's the moral. <laughs> We've decided. Purpose was fun, but very long. Yes, chapter purpose. It started off by, as I was talking earlier, about everything has a divine purpose. Every molecule in the air, every molecule in the water, every fish in the air, sea thing has a purpose. <laughs> every fish in the air. <laughs> Did you really just say every fish in the air? Just, 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 just. You can cut that out. No, we're not. <laughs> You said every fish in the air. Okay, okay, fine. Every fish in the sea has a purpose. Every heavenly body has a purpose. And the purpose is love and happiness or something? God equals love equals, equals reason equals, equals happiness. Equals purpose. And he hates people who don't have a purpose in life because that's against God. Uh, God, not God. <laughs> God is different from God. Poor dyslexia. Damn. He, he even calls people who don't have a purpose floaters. People, dead bodies, floating down the Mississippi, who nobody cares about because they're just dead bodies. Ooh, I don't know where this fits in, but it came up earlier and I want to discuss it. Okay. Dragon story. Dragon story. Where, it's about cheerfulness. It cheerfulness. might be called cheerfulness. Right, I don't remember this. Where he basically says that cheerfulness can fight dragons. How no, do you not are remember Are you sure this, this is the same book? <laughs> I seem to have missed this bit. So he's talking about how you've got to be cheerful, you've got to look on the bright side, no matter how destitute you are, you must be happy. Yes. And he says, he gives this little story mm. where this person has an army of dragons, so it's basically Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was stolen from this book. Yep. Uh, this, it's a man though. This man with his army of dragons mm. comes and he's like, give me all your things. Understandable. Uh, and the, they don't want to give him all his things. Really? So... Wait, he has dragons. What do the dragons do without all the things? Um, this, I think it's a daughter of a preacher, comes out with her guitar. What? <laughs> I don't remember this bit at all, are you sure? It's my favourite bit in the whole book. Oh, so, that. The preacher's daughter comes out with her guitar, mm -hmm. she's playing her guitar, she sings a song, and the man with the dragons is like, oh, thank you, that's lovely, and he leaves. Oh. So all you need is... So a... with her cheerfulness and her music... She, she fought can kill dragons. dragons. They, they didn't die. They were just so happy that they no longer wanted all the all things. things. They were content. That's a lovely story. I bet that's how Game of Thrones is going to end. I hope so. 
Daenerys will get to the Iron Throne. There'll just be a little girl with a guitar. Like, Go away. Anyway, back to a purpose. Yes, back to purpose of life. Yeah, don't be a dead body floating down, floating, floating down the Mississippi. Seems that's his podcast. Podcast. Podcast carries on. My ability to speak is diminishing. And you're going back into the voice. Uh, I didn't take that many notes from the very start of Purpose because I found it all quite boring. It was incredibly boring. I, to read this book, I used text-to-speech because I couldn't be bothered to read it. But for this bit, I, I just skim-read skim it. And it you skim-read it, skim did you? Leave it alone, I'm boiling in here. <laughs> the recording studio is boiling. Anyway. <laughs> I've drunk my drink and I've finished Olivia's drink. <laughs> you can have it back. Okay. So you must plan your life or you will be, and I quote, a grand failure. Yeah, a complete and utter failure. Oh, did you get the sheep story? That was my favourite story. Okay, what's the sheep story? The sheep story. Do not be a sheep. He tells a story of down New York. That's not an American accent. A, the, a herd of sheep was going across and then the, the old sheep, leader sheep, sheep leader, jumped over a man who was walking past and then all the other sheep jumped over at that spot. And then he tells a more horrific story about the sheep. These poor little sheep. So the, 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 the same sheep or a different kind of sheep, you'll never know, are walking across London. They go to a London bridge. It doesn't say which London bridge. And they're going over the Thames and the leader sheep gave up on walking across the bridge halfway through, so decided to jump over the side of the bridge. And as sheep and lemmings do, they decided to all jump off the side of the bridge at that particular point. It was a quite interesting story and a quite horrific story to imagine all the sheep drowning in the Thames. It's an argument that you can imagine on a certain side of Twitter. Um, okay, so no dreaming, no changing your dreams as you get older, no matter how you change the person, <laughs> you must have a life plan from the beginning. From the beginning, like I do, it's great. Um, oh, did you get the bit about the pleasure? L life? Before that. Ah, right, I don't have anything before that. Oh, I have something before oh, that. Oh, air castles. What do you want to say about air castles? I didn't understand that chapter at all. There was something about when you build your air castle, you must build it well, otherwise you'll be lonely in your air castle without windows. I think he was calling it your dreams, and you should be logical oh, right, okay. in your dreams, because if you build an illogical dream, it'll all fall apart. Uh, and you'll be lonely forever. Yeah, but he called <laughs> dreams air castles because he's so pretentious. Oh, right, I understand that. He has some opinions on acting. He hates yes. it. Yes, he hates he, acting. You know how later in the thing he's like, you can do work, and he lists professions. Mm. Acting is notably absent because <laughs> he hates it. Don't become an actor because you will be influenced by its demoralising influences. <laughs> it is not a worthy purpose. And he basically says, because it's a drama, your mm. life will become drama and yep. you don't want a dramatic life. Don't become an actor. So many young people these days all want to be actors. He's trying to relate to the youth with yeah. this whole book. But you shouldn't be an actor. But not actors. He will never understand the actors. He says, do not have a life devoted to pleasure. Is this a new chapter? Pleasure chapter? It's under the same heading of purpose, but he's right. got like these mini headings. He, he tells the story of this lovely, respectable woman who likes to party, as you do. And her husband stayed at home and she decided to go partying. Which is similar to an earlier story when the husband was in the wrong for not wanting to party. But she goes out and parties and then she died alone or something. Did it imply she became a courtesan or a prostitute before she, yeah, she died alone? Yeah. And she made a bed for herself and yeah. This woman left her husband, partied all night, her friends left her and then wouldn't talk to her. She became a prostitute and then died and then n nobody cared about her. So the moral of the story is don't go to parties or you will die. Be happy as a housewife and be stay home all the time. A particular quote. She that liveth in pleasure <laughs> is dead while she liveth. Need to make a plan, but that plan can't <laughs> be, be to be happy. Yep. The one who died in a carriage accident, she went to a party. Yes. The carriage and horses went over a bridge and other people went over a bridge and they died. Hmm. And the moral... Is don't go into carriages. Is that don't party because God will make sure fate comes your way. If you don't live your life well, fate will, like, ruin it. 
There's lots of references to horses throughout the book, which I haven't written down, but there was lots of references to horses. More references to fashion. He associates fashion with France, which is part of why he hates (laughs) hates France. (laughs) No, I'm sure he just doesn't hate France and then everything to do with France. French people wear clothes, don't they? I hate clothes. He says later, the the only two things you need in life are... Your clothes and health. So he's very contradictory. No, but he says you only need some winter clothes, <laughs> some summer clothes, some other clothes. You don't need fashion. Fashion is what the French do, and we're not French. Damn the French. USA. I thought, USA. They, I thought they liked the French, didn't they? The French give them the... The French army helped them yeah, in the I... war for independence, but that was a long, oh, time, was ago. A long time ago. By Screw now, the they probably all independence, and they don't like anyone. Anyone ever. Um, OK, should we get to work? Where do your notes on work start? I started by writing, it sounds like the Communist Manifesto. (laughs) It did. He goes on and saying, your life doesn't have purpose if you don't have work. If you don't work, then people will live an empty life and the only men and women need to work and that's the most important thing in life. It's really interesting that you said that Mm. because I read it and I thought, this sounds like the most capitalist American dream. Yeah, it was. It sounded like Marx and him saying that people have a desire to work. And well, no, it sounds like American economy. You know, we got to work. We've got to be the great nation. Right that again. sort of thing to me. Oh, so it's interesting uh, yeah. that we took exactly opposite perspectives <laughs> from the same story. Yeah, he says to live without employment is a terrible curse upon the human race. And he says something um, quite interesting. He says we are all animals. And we have animalistic needs, we need to look after ourselves. And we need to work. Which is quite interesting, because it, it sounds like he is listening to Darwin there, and he's, he's showing the parallels between humans and animals, and we are one and the same. When this was 100 years beforehand, they would not have said that. I have a quote. Ooh, lovely quote. Medicines have no power to cure aches and pains that work alone can cure. That is interesting. Yes, he thinks work is a fix for fatigue and depression. And this is probably why there were no uh, unemployment benefits or anything, because yeah. the, you're lazy. Yes, the only you just need to work. Yeah. To your problems, not this newfangled medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you need to work. Yeah, he he believes work will fix everything. He gives a story of um, a woman who didn't work and then was really depressed and sad. No, it wasn't that she didn't work. Cause he ex- in the house. He extends yeah. the meaning of work. Yeah, she was working around in the house. Because the thing is, at this point in the chapter, he really separates men's work and women's work. And men's mm. work is in the outer sphere, in employment. Moment. Women's yeah. work is within the, in house. the house. making it lovely So the mother raised this daughter as a beautiful lady. She sat around reading books in the parlour, you know, very traditional. Mm. The only work she did was eating. Eating, reading, that sort of basically my life (laughs) Um, and she got very unhappy and she had no energy to do anything so Mm. she did less and less and less he says if they'd just occupied her with cleaning or cooking she would have been so much happier um and that's the sort of moral there that women should work in the house Mm. but then later on he completely changes his tune tune, yeah um he also says if you work hard you can give birth to a president. <laughs> he gives the example of President Garfield's mother, who was in a little hut or something, and then she worked up to be the greatest position in all of the land. Which is interesting, because he doesn't believe women could actually do anything great. But if you work hard, you can have children who will do stuff, if they're men. But then later in the chapter... <laughs> he changes, yeah, he changes his tune completely. He says, don't wrap children in rubber, which is saying don't bubble wrap children. He is very firmly against not um, having servants to do stuff and... I like the equality he gives to male and female children. Because he says, a boy without play is not a healthy boy, mentally, morally or physically. But then he says, female children should get the same treatment as male children in that regard, because they all need to play. Yes. For children, he believes in equality. Because he believes they all have the same fundamental need. He says, you wouldn't leave... If you had a boy, you wouldn't shelter him from the world and then expect him to be a great mountaineer or something, he said. Yeah, you you wouldn't... 
if you treated a boy how you treated a girl, they wouldn't turn out how they needed to. So why do you expect girls to turn out how yeah, they needed to? Yeah, which is incredibly fair, and I was quite impressed by that. And that was the slow turning point <laughs> towards the end of this chapter, which gets a bit strange. The other thing about bathing, though... Yes, which is interesting. Don't wear any perfume. He hates perfume. It smells of death. Well, no, he says... Perfume is no substitute for bathing. Hmm. You should wash with soap and water. Yeah, soap and water is all you need. You shouldn't just cover up with perfume. Which maybe at this time people weren't washing as much and he's yeah, just like, I, I guess can he's... you guys have some more baths? <laughs> hey, you <laughs> bathe, damn it. Perfume isn't really cutting it for me. Could you just wash? He says, if you... Oh, I need to spill the drink. If you aren't... If you don't have a clean out exterior, your soul will be unclean. And he says, cleanliness... Preserves love. Cleanliness equals three things in his mind. Right. Cleanliness, soap and water, has three pillars to it. <gasps> Pillar number one, politeness. Right. It is polite to be clean. Interesting. If you are not clean, you are not polite. Oh. Two, love. <laughs> because how can anyone love you <laughs> if you stink? Three, uh... I can't read what I've written. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone can read that. Something of mind. Cleanliness of mind? Christian of mind. Purity. Purity of mind. Three. <laughs> right. Purity of mind. Mm -hmm. If you are clean of body, you are clean of mind. And it's just funny that one simple action can equal all those things. And it reminds me of a later idea that comes up, that cleanliness equals intelligence right could later on in the 19th century um the type of people who attended this is in british history right. so um, <laughs> who knows if this is the same America. it the seems to be very classist yeah it, the lower classes won't be able to get as much soap and water it's the same people who were um richer were more intelligent because they washed more and they <laughs> looked smarter so what he's basically saying is if you're poor you can't be polite experience yeah. love or be pure of mind whatever that means then he tells a lovely story about this lovely woman who saw some annoying boys on the street. Oh, yes. This is a great story. And she, he decided to... No, she decided to even say, say to the boys, please shut up on the Sabbath day or please go away. And they don't. So she says, please come to my Sunday school. And weirdly, they, they do. And they love it. They love it, yeah. Jesus saved them. Yeah, Jesus saved their souls. And then, after saving all these middle-class and upper-class children, she finds a poor, dirty child. <laughs> he's not poor, he's just dirty. Because yeah. then later he goes into high society. Yeah. He's just a dirty okay. child. Find, she finds this dirty child and she teaches him chemistry or something? No, he, he... she cleans him, I oh, think. Oh, right, that's... Interesting. <laughs> she cleans this little Good dirty child, boy. Right? <laughs> and later on, he goes into high society, and they don't like him in high society, so they send him off to China. <laughs> I think he was poor, and he just went up the social ladder, and they don't like him up the social ladder. That was they the don't make that clear, but then I guess maybe to him, dirty is dirty synonymous is with... Lower class as well. Um, and he, she, he's sent off to China um, to get rid of him, but then he comes back and he's translated the Bible into Un unstated un Chinese, Chinese language. language. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Mandarin, but it could be anything. It's just the Chinese language. The Chinese language. Because uh, he doesn't we're American, <laughs> goddammit. We don't need to know those other cultures. Um, and so everyone loves him because he's a missionary. He's brought Christianity to China. China. Yeah. And then he comes back and he brings back his Chinese friends. And she's very shocked. And they said, don't worry, they're my friends. It's like, women with purpose can create a Christian <laughs> China. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's essentially saying, you can't do anything with your life, but if you make a child or teach a child that's a man, he can do stuff in life and yeah. it can be you. You should start schools. You should train the children. Create the future you want to see mm. through children, because yeah. you are a woman. And your purpose as a woman is to make babies. <laughs> or educate babies. Or educate babies. He's so forward-thinking. He lets women educate babies. It's, it's amazing. I, I love... Oh, did you, is there another thing that you had, or did you get straight to the man-killing ships? <laughs> I just completely skipped that part. It was an awful part. He, he lost his 
Yeah. Not, it's basically, there's a man, he sinks ships, his son was on it. Oh no! I'll no. give it more elaborate than that. Um, this man, his job, well he had a mar- marvellous scheme. There was a lighthouse a bit further down, but if he had his own light, he could trick ships into crashing and burning and all the people dying. And he can then steal all the things. I think all these stories are made up in his head. It seems yeah, a bit I, far-fetched. I was thinking they were real until I got to Miss Tattlefoot and then I was like, yeah, okay, they're yeah, all they're fake. fake yeah. um, and his plan worked perfectly. He killed a ship and then he went down and he had all the gold and then he goes over to a man and he sees a golden ring and he goes over to the golden ring and then he finds out, oh my, this is my son. I've just killed my son. And he's has a revelation, 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 revelation that he's just murdered people. <laughs> and it was fine when it was any old people, but when it was his son returning from a faraway land, he feels so much guilt and he doesn't sleep again. And, he's and he dies. Distort, and he di- dies he? somehow. All these people die yeah. out from Emotional being sad. trauma yeah. equals death. death. It equals death. And then he tells another story. Do you want to tell the story about the train? Uh, yeah, there's the guy. Uh, he sees a... There's a storm. Storm. Something's on the track. He, he sees it. And then he reports it. And then he saved all the people's lives. And he has a good conscience. And for the first time ever, he says something. He says, I'm not going to tell you what moral to draw from this. <laughs> Normally, he doesn't tell you, but he uses pathetic fallacy and stuff to make it very clear what the moral of the story is. And so, here, the like, moral of the story is, don't kill people. Killing people is Bad. Help people not die instead. <laughs> He's trying to explain this to women, so it has to be <laughs> simple. But but then, suddenly, halfway through purpose, everything changes. He moves on to independence, <laughs> and suddenly he's a changed man. Oh, before that, he talks about money. He says, money is not purpose, but you need it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but he says you pursue money, but don't make it like your whole oh, life. No, Just but... like most. Of oh, your did life. you did you get the story about the money in the Bible? Oh yeah. This is the best story ever. I said that many a time now. You must be getting annoying. I apologise, listeners. If you become bankrupt, all you need to do is read the Bible. He tells the story of this woman and this man, and this man parties all day and night. He's fine for men to do that, but then he's bankrupt, and then he goes to his wife. I'm sorry, we're bankrupt. And she goes, oh, that's fine, just read the Bible. I'm sure it's all fine. And he's like, I really can't read the Bible Bible right right now. now. (laughs) I'm very distraught. I've lost everything. We're selling the house. And he's like, read the Bible. And he does. And every single page has a five-pound note. And the moral of the story is, there's loads of money in the Bible, so find your nearest Bible now. The moral of the story is, women, you need to be um, frugal with your money. You need to save. Don't spend all the money your husband gives you on fashion <laughs> french <laughs> just save some of it buy only what you need and then when your husband inevitably goes bankrupt you are the savior yeah because you can't get your own job no but you can save money so he's essentially telling women to <laughs> lie to their husbands husband, still five pounds notes daily did we discuss a story from earlier on about verifying your husband isn't wearing a two-sided waistcoat no. And there's this... I, I thought that, that was for partying. How, how do you find it out? Okay, so there was this lady mm. who was had six people courting her because she was well known yeah. to be incredibly wealthy. So she had all these loving admirers. Mm. She was showered with gifts. So then she tells them, oh, I know there's this rumour going around that I'm, like, super wealthy, but I actually only have £300 in the bank. Mm-hmm. And all but one of them... Mm leaves they stop courting her and the one who remains is like i don't care if you have five pence in the bank i want to marry you and they get married yeah and then after they consummate their marriage she says to him actually you know how i said i only had 300 in the bank i lied i've got loads loads of money i am so wealthy so you should lie to your husband (laughs) To, to find out if your husband is lying to you you should lie to him yes Best mole ever. Sorry, I just I enjoyed that one. Yes. The. The. <laughs> okay. So. Masculine women are awful. <laughs> if you, if you're a masculine woman, you deserve death. But. 
I don't know if he's making fun of society there. Right. And being like, people think a masculine woman or a female man is the worst thing. Or right, if he's yeah. genuinely he's, like, masculine women and female men. I think he's making fun men. of society because what he says next is quite progressive. Yeah. The thing he says after that is so progressive. It's like, how could he have originally been saying hmm. that it is the inalienable... Uh, no. First of all, he said, it is the inalienable right of every young woman to choose her calling and prosecute it with all the zeal. And then he says, a masculine woman or female man are monstrosities which do not win respect from sensible people. Is he saying, I believe that women who act in a masculine way or men who act in a female way are monstrosities? Or is he saying, sensible people might argue that... Right, I, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to decipher. But he does go on to say that women should be allowed to be self-assistant. Self-sufficient. He t- talks about successful women lawyers, successful mm. women doctors, yeah. and he says this purpose is what's preventing them from being depressed. Said, There's even one lawyer in America, and she's pretty too. Oh yeah, <laughs> she's pretty. She's a female woman, and she's a successful lawyer because her dad trained her to be one. Yes. So if you're born into wealth, you're fine. And he supports women as priests. Because he was like, um, he there was a woman who really wanted oh, yeah, to be a priest. Yeah, but she uh, wasn't allowed to. Wasn't allowed to. Does a woman not have the same religion that a man has? And couldn't she be a representative of her god if she feels called to speak for her god? Which is quite cool. Because like yeah, even he, today he in the Catholic in the Church, Catholic Church <laughs> won't allow women to be priests. So. You know, more forward thinking than twenty eighteen religious people. Well done him. And he all he thinks that you need to do do well is faith. Faith in yourself. Which is good, I guess. If you believe in yourself, you can do stuff. Also money. You need lots of money, yes. <laughs> if you're one of the dirty people, you can't do it. <laughs> you can't do anything. Um, so that's... He... There's a quote I like, which is, The age of barbarianism, of caste, of superstition... Just, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's just. I think it's cased. (laughs) (laughs) The age of barbarianism, of pronunciation, of superstition, is passing into everlasting night of oblivion. Which is interesting for something written in 1883. Because I feel like superstition still exists. In his book. (laughs) In literally a few pages (laughs) earlier. But it's nice that he's trying to move forward. And he says society always tries to move backwards. And we've got to move forward, and women have to do more work. I, I think and society naturally moves forwards. There's some blips, but there's, yeah. that's what he says. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and he says we've got to push against it and move forward, which is quite nice. It's mm. just nothing like the rest of the, the book. book. Yeah, I think he had an epiphany. I think he was trying to be progressive, so to appeal to the youth. I don't know. Yeah, maybe this whole book is his opinion, but then to get the youth to like, like it, it and agree with it, he has to include this bit of empowerment. Maybe it's it's the opposite. Maybe he believes in empowerment, but to get it published he needs people to read it and start and get trapped in it and then still be more progressive as you go through. Because the book is called With Hints on Love, Courtship, Marriage and the True Objects of Life. Mm. And this purpose section is the true objects of life bit. Mm. And I would say it's the longest section in the book. Yeah. So this is probably what he's most passionate about. Right. As opposed to the love. He believes all people should be working for the state. He doesn't (laughs) say for the state. For Mirk. For your home. Um... I think that's mostly it. There is one bit at the end where he says, which sounds like a lot of modern self-help books, which is, to do well in life, you need good companions. And it might be hard to get rid of your companions, but you need good friends to do well in life. And the naysayers will leave you, but that's okay. Yeah. All you need is confidence in yourself. And he finishes the book by saying, about Vesuvius, and it erupting and capturing the lives of people in Roman times. And he says, as people looking for their wealth and their jewels and there's people, slaves working. It's how would you like to be remembered? What's your purpose in life? Now, I have some summary questions just to get our overall thoughts right. about the novel. First question, how sexist is it out of ten? I don't know. At the start of the book, it was very for marriage. You have to marry to be a respectful person. It blamed women a lot. Yeah, at the beginning, but... It blamed women for ma- ma- getting bad husbands at the start. Then, in the middle of the book, it said... Um, I hate bad I, I husbands. I hate them, and they deserve more than burning in hell. And at and the end, it's like, equal for men and women. Yes, yeah, equal rights. 
you you don't need to marry, you can work. He really went on a journey. <laughs> yes. Maybe he's found himself in this book. <laughs> I would like to read his Manual for Young Men, which was yes. published before this, and just see what the focus is in that. Does he also focus on love, courtship, marriage, true objects of life? Because I feel like he will reading focus them on both... More, yeah will show what his true But this one's a difficult is. read. <laughs> Can I really read another? Why was it difficult? It was only... It, 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 it was, some of it was quite boring about the god bits and some of it was messed up because of um, bad e-book uh, e versions so I couldn't read some of it. I read it on the archive website, which I will put a right. link to if okay. anyone else wants to read it. It's only about 130 pages. It's actually kind of less than that. I think it might be 120. Right. Um, and I found it quite historically interesting right. to look at that viewpoint. I guess so. It's a short read, and it's interesting how he does the chatty thing and the anecdote. Mm -hmm. How does it compare to modern self-help books? That is a question I have. Oh, right. Next question. How similar slash different is this book from modern self-help books. I'm a genius. Come on. <laughs> I would say that this sort of anecdotal style mm. of being like, this chapter, story. chapter title, this story. I made up in my head. This points that usually people sort of do it on a personality basis. They will tell stories from their own life mm. and then come up with a moral for it. Whereas I guess because he is a man writing for a female audience, yeah, he has he to have stories. But then rather than asking women for their stories, he just thinks, I know women, I'll make them up. It's fine. Um, there's a couple of morals that are very similar to modern day. It's like, get to know the person you want to marry yeah. and get be happy in yourself. Your good companions. Yeah. Work hard and have faith. Have and... faith in yourself and yeah. you can achieve everything and have, have, give birth to presidents. It's just got a little bit more sexism, mm. a little bit more conservatism. Mm. I don't think you A lot more find... God. You wouldn't yeah. find <laughs> passages from the Bible. He also has quotes scattered everywhere within oh, the book. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like he's just padding it out at this point. It's yeah. a short book. He's like, I'm just going to throw I in this poem. I read one self-help book and it was very repetitive. The first half of the book contained everything you needed to know. What did you read? Um, how to Win and Influence Others. It was quite a bad book, but do you know it? I know it, but I, I, it's one I wouldn't expect you to read. I'm judging you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was recommended by a YouTuber and I started reading it. But... How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's yes. like a business right. people, yeah. like, iffy it, book. Yeah, it was basically um, listen to other people in conversations and be nice. I think nice. I've actually skimmed through sections of it right. and it always has a summary at the end of each chapter so you can just read the <laughs> summary and then you get the whole thing you don't have to read the whole but book. But it, it repeated itself throughout it. Oh yeah. That, that book, yeah. Um, so this is better than that book I found. <laughs> you found more helpful information. Hmm. I enjoyed I he was a lot more progressive, progressive than I thought he would be. Yes. And, I was surprised about that. Yeah. I had very low expectations and it slightly beat this. So it is very similar to modern self-help books. It's mm. just got a few 1980s... Yeah. Sorry, not 1980s. 1880s. Mm -hmm. 1880s sort of features to it. Uh, does this book hold any value to a modern reader? Beyond a historical, anthropological I, I value? I don't know. Should you hide five-pound notes in every page of the Bible? <laughs> I mean, that could be helpful. Saving money is like a good tip. I guess it has, like... Some good advice, but it's hidden for all this gunk and yeah. When you get through the pretentiousness and, and all the, the, the mold stories, it's trying to be the Bible, but <laughs> some of the morals are bad. Yes. Like, don't question any marriage. Yeah, uh, jealousy's worse than murder. That sort of thing. And lots of stuff about um, don't get tricked by a man or and don't get arranged marriage might not be very relevant today if you can actually try to go out with someone in the first place rather than just being forced into it. Um, but at the same time. I don't know. It has, it's has. I the don't... first half of the book was mainly focused on marriage and how great marriage is, and yet today there's a lot less focus on marriage. Yeah, and that leads me to: Does this book hold any value to a reader in 1883? Yes. I like how the start of the book is very conventional. Mm. It, so if someone was going to buy it, they'd see that start. Then and they might be put off by it if they were. Actually, I don't know. It would be the common knowledge. I don't know. I think they'd buy it to read the conventional start mm. and the end, the sort of call to work and sort of a semi-equality 
is quite a nice thing to have at that time. Yeah, like it, it gets could quite be, progressive, yeah. even if at the first. It's quite iffy. And I, it sounds like his first book sold well. I'm not sure if this one did, but if he sold well on his first book, he he made a book after this yeah, about so it, for everyone, advice for everyone in life. I reckon they all sold well, hmm. and I and self help books sell very well. People want to be better human beings. But the thing is, how helpful is self help book? Um, they continue to sell well. Yeah, I don't. I think they make you think they're going to be helpful, but they're not very helpful. I've read, I've read, um, all I know now which is like aimed at teenagers and a lot of it just seems like common sense to me it's someone yeah. repackaging common sense and it's nice to hear anecdotal evidence they're sort of being like we've all gone through the same things but at the same time it's sort of it's all the same thing over and over okay, of yeah. common it's sense very repetitive. and i guess if I you guess, are in yeah, a low place and you need some reassurance the, these that books your aren't sense, going to have magical knowledge you didn't know beforehand yeah. it's something they can't possess. they're just going to reinforce what you already knew hmm which might be helpful. Any questions you had? No, not really. I read the book with you. <laughs> so yeah, is that everything we want to say about it? I think so. I think we should let the podcast here, maybe. Okay. I will leave a link to the archive, so it's free if you want to read it. Mm-hmm. It does get a bit dense at times. Yes. Understandable if you don't. We've sort of given you our favourite bits from it. <laughs> yeah, there's some random sections where it's incomprehensible bits, bits about the Bible and there's loads of quotes. Born quotes. Yeah, at one point he says, "You must memorize this poem," and he, the main thing was, "Higher, forever higher," or you have to achieve higher in your life and try well, to get, which is nice. a positive message. And yeah, overall, it's a good positive book. Yeah, because I was expecting it to be like you sit down yeah, and you look after your husband and you. Which you, some of it was, I guess. It but, was. Yeah. But it got better towards the end. Yes, I was quite impressed with the end. And what do you give it out of five? Out of five, that's a weird number. Um, <laughs> two and a half. Two and a half. Hmm, interesting. And you? Um, for for me today, I'm gonna give it like a one two, but for the time <laughs> maybe like a three or four. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking more of the time, but. <laughs> um, Backtacking. <laughs> Next time, hmm? Rowan will be choosing a science thing. Yes. Because I chose this. And what science thing will that be? It's probably going to be the luminiferous ether. And you're not going to start talking about it now. Ah, okay, time. fine. <laughs> okay, goodbye. We'll leave it on that. <laughs> Thanks for listening.